L-A-S. Welcome to The Dangerous Leader, where we invite leaders to share their best experiences thriving in a world that expects them to conform so that you can thrive too. Hello there, Dr. Jennifer Murphy here, along with Alex Schulte in the producer box. All right, Alex, who's your favorite Transformer? Bumblebee. Bumblebee. Ah, you went the traditional route. Well, since I am the creator of the Art of Living Dangerously Leadership model and a complete Transformers geek, I have to go a little bit non-traditional. Mine has to be Ironside. And the reason for that is he is this kind of tough, badass uh, weapons expert who turns into this big, beautiful black truck. And if I'm going to be super corny, kind of reminds me of my soon-to-be husband, Daryl. So... Um, but that really, all this leads me to tell you all about my guest today. I've got James Byerly on the show, who is founder of SecurePoint Solutions. And he brought me what I have to say is my new favorite mug, which has this little mascot on it that resembles a Transformer. So, of course, that got me excited to go re-binge all of my favorite Transformer movies. And this mug comes with a side benefit. A mug with benefits, if you will. We'll talk about James's decisions to join the military, college transition points, being a foster family, and how he got excited about cybersecurity. We also dive into the idea that your excitement drives your actions and how all of that can lead to some real leap of faith decisions that felt, well, dangerous. With that, I bring you episode one. With that, I bring you the Dangerous Leader podcast and my guest, James Byerly. And I'm sure that after this, you'll be ready to give him a call and protect all of your assets. History. 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 Songs. Punishment. All of this is on Historically Inaccurate with me, Jake Trumper. And me, Alex Schulte. Learn about history in a fun and unique way with our weekly podcast, Historically Inaccurate. Each week, we put a spotlight on a moment in history. And if you were like me in school who liked history but had trouble paying attention in class, don't worry. We're going to present this knowledge in an easily digestible way. Like when you put medicine in peanut butter for your dog. Or like when you put medicine in your peanut butter for me. Historically Inaccurate is produced and distributed by the LAS Media Network right here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. To learn more about this, head on over to lasmedianetwork.com slash historicallyinaccurate. And if you want access to the exclusive Historically Inaccurate After Dark, consider subscribing to LAS Plus. Head on over to lasmedianetwork.com slash plus to get started. If you thought Historically Inaccurate couldn't get any crazier, just wait until you're learning about history in the dark. Yeah, flashlights. Historically Inaccurate. So James, welcome. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you. And thank I have to thank you again for driving over two hours to get here today. That's dedication to being on a podcast, man. It, 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 is. it is. Yeah, so I want to start because um, you today, I would call you a cybersecurity expert, but you have a life prior to this. You were in the Navy. You have yes. a whole childhood. And as you know, or are relatively acquainted with, um, what I like to do is focus on people who've made some different leaps in their life and the things yeah. that motivated them to take those leaps um, that maybe motivated might not always be the word. Maybe they fell into them, you know? Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of hear your perspective on some of that stuff. So if you don't mind, if we can start with that first leap that brought you into the Navy, like yeah. how did, was that something you always wanted to do or were you, it was a, I got to do it or what happened? Um, yeah. So 
it was definitely something that was on my mind. My dad was in the Navy okay. uh, before and always had some cool stories about it. Um, somewhere in the middle school, I picked up uh, The Hunt for Red October and read it oh, gosh. cover to cover. And I was like, OK, I'm hooked. I want to <laughs> I want to do I want to do this stuff. And then I read his next book and his next book. Yeah. And Tom Clancy has hooked many a Navy person. Right. I'm guessing. Right. And, and honestly, I think uh, going into it, I wanted probably more like to be Jack Ryan, you know, oh, that, yeah. you know, kind of using using the brains and trying to solve things and and all that. So high school, I got uh, started taking classes and actually just uh, through through the luck, the Moines Public Schools had Russian as a language that Whoa. you could take in an accelerated program. Yeah. So you took it two periods a day. You uh, so you would get two years out of one school year. So I took uh, I took Russian um, all the way up through their fifth level. Uh-huh. Uh, the instructor was actually a former Navy interpreter. Oh so, my gosh! You know, just all it these was just things surrounding you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so when uh, when that opportunity came along, I said, you know, told the recruiters I want to be an interpreter, and they said, great, you need to take this aptitude test for your ability to learn languages. Mm-hmm. Has nothing to do with any language you know. Yeah. And so I took it. Well. They come back to me and they said, according to this aptitude test, you're not smart enough to learn Russian. <laughs> what everybody wants to hear, but you already spoke it. Exactly. So how does that equate? <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm like, well, how does this make sense? I, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to finish up with five years of Russian. I, yeah. I speak far more Russian than you do. And he, uh, th- they said, well, you know, the best you could do is French or Spanish. And I'm like, no offense, but that's not interesting. No. Um, so I said, well, what else do you got? And they said, well, would you like to do sonar and submarines. I'm like, okay, well, Jonesy was kind of a badass and, yeah. you know, and, and, and Clancy definitely hyped him up. So yeah, let's do that. Right. So I went sonar, went in submarines, um, and just, I mean, I loved it. Yeah. Of course, then I find out once I get into the Navy, part of the reason they pushed me away from the Russian program was it was 95, 96, Cold yeah. War had ended. They were telling a lot of interpreters, hey, uh, we don't need you to know Russian anymore. So either retire or learn a new language. Yeah. Um, now, and I appreciate you putting that into context because I think that is such a critical thing during that time. I remember being in high school when the wall came down, but in mm-hmm. like in Germany, kind of part of that whole era. And we had a German um, foreign exchange student in my high school at that time. Yeah. And I mean, it was so cool to talk with her and, I mean, it's kind of like one of those things where I t- when I tell people, hey, I'm from California, they're like, oh, do you surf? You know, <laughs> and it was like our foreign exchange student was the same. We're like, oh, my God, you're from Germany. Did the wall impact you? You know, and she <laughs> was, you know, and she was so gracious about it. And that's one of the things I remember is talking about that. But I remember in elementary school doing the Cold War under your desk nuclear drills. I remember right. like that was so relevant, you know, during that early 90s time frame still it's not surprising that you encountered that kind of shift yeah, of eh, rush. I mean, I bet we're regretting that now, not developing <laughs> more Russian linguists. Exactly, but <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, I did, um, you know, I, I did my work, uh, you know, rode on submarines, uh, used sonar, hunted subs, all that cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and actually along the way, the Navy, probably because they cut back yeah. too many people, they established a program where if you did speak a foreign language, you could take a proficiency test. Mm-hmm. And if you scored high enough, they'd give you like an extra hundred bucks a month. Yeah. And then you'd have to retake it. So, of course, I was like, sign me up. I'll, yeah. I'll do it. So I actually uh, actually was getting that um, 
uh, that bonus every month for a couple of years, but yeah. gradually my score was because it. Oh, I'm sure. I'd be like, oh, hey, I have to take my proficiency test in two weeks. I should go find my book yeah. because I never used it in, in a professional manner for the Navy, right. uh, so it just kind of deteriorated. But mm. um, yeah, so I did. Uh, I did that. My my uh, about six years in, I had a uh, I had an eye injury, ah. uh, so I could no longer be on submarines. Right. So they switched me to the uh, surface ship fleet. Uh, did most of the same work, but yeah. it was definitely a different experience and and that was definitely one of those uh you know challenges where mm. it starts to make you wonder do I want to keep doing this yeah and how many years did you have in at that point uh so at that point I was at about my six year point yeah. six seven years um and I was committed right up to 10 years so yeah you know it's kind of that when I get to 10 what do I want to do and yeah. between uh between that change in my career the uh you know now having a wife a kid yeah um all all of those things it started to make me question what i wanted to do no that's that is so interesting to me because i was at about that exact same timeline when i started to ask those same questions and i started to get the talks from everybody around me stay into retirement it's amazing it's only 12 more years you know whatever it right. was and i was right. just like Oh my God, but I cannot imagine. And it, I mean, and honestly, at that point in my career, if I had stayed, it would have been deployment after deployment after deployment based yep. on my job and where I was and mm -hmm. the work that I was being recruited to do. And so I do think, and I had a family, I was just like you, family, child, like things were changing in my life. And mm -hmm. I had to, I think we, we all, I think, get to a point in our life where we have to start asking, what is most important right now? Where do I really want to put my resources? And not, you know, resources isn't just money. It's our time. It's our, you know, where are we investing emotionally? So. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, it's a, I, it's a point that I've heard a lot of people who've served in the military talk about. Yeah. Like I have to get to yes or no. Where am I going? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it is that one, you know, people will tell you, well, if you, if you're at 10, um, it, it's definitely a good spot to stay or go. But if yeah. you stay, you got to do the other 10 and just kind of everything. It, it, it makes you question it. Mm -hmm. And so with, uh, and honestly, my, uh, my first wife was not interested in the uh, being away uh, <laughs> from, from Iowa anymore. So yeah. I said, okay, we need yeah. to, we need to shift things. And so, um, I went into the reserves uh, yeah. to uh, to at least you know kind of help to maintain those benefits and and mm -hmm. and not necessarily throw away ten years uh, of time yeah. in um, and even that uh, between work life mm -hmm. you know military time uh, yeah. those kind of things because I didn't have an easy transition from what I did in the Navy mm -hmm. to what I started to do because mm -hmm. frankly there aren't any submarines hanging out in lakes and rivers for me to hunt for. <laughs> so I had to find not a, that we know of anyway, not right? That we know of. So I had to find a I had to find a new job. I had yeah. to find something else. And um I I definitely uh you know didn't take advantage of a lot of those uh, opportunities that are that are in the Navy or just in the military uh where you know it's like oh you could learn you could learn something and get college credit for it. Yeah, yeah. That sounds that yeah. sounds like something I'll do later on and kept putting it off to, yeah. to my detriment. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So did you ever end up going back to school? I did. Yeah. Um, I uh, So to kind of get from 
you know, Navy doing sonar stuff yeah. to where I was at point of, okay, now maybe getting some education skills. Yeah. Uh, it actually required me to go back overseas mm-hmm. to learn IT, uh, okay. to, to learn how to use computers. Yeah. So I, where'd you have to go? Uh, so Japan, Middle East, uh, a couple different places. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, all kind of started off with, hey, uh, you know, you basically it came down to, you have a security clearance, you... Uh, you don't seem to be an idiot. Yeah, you're uh, breathing. You're you breathing. Speak. Yes. Yeah, you've, you've been to countries that are maybe not all that great. Sure. Um, so we'd like you to. We'll send you back to some more. Yes, we'll send you. <laughs> we'll send you back to. You know, we'll add a few more stamps to the passport. Um, so I was able to start getting some IT skills. Mm. Um, but again, I'm I'm now away from my family again. Yeah. Um, now my family's at least settled back in hometown or their yeah. hometown. And it's a little bit better, but again, I'm I'm gone. Yeah, and but it's not the family environment that exactly that you were imagining at that exactly. point. Yeah. So luckily, I I got smart enough doing <laughs> doing things with computers that yeah. uh, I was able to parlay that into an actual job that keep me stateside. Yeah. So so at that point, then I said, okay, I'm I'm in this job. I should probably you know get some formal education okay. because I. I loved all my classes that I ever took when I was in the military, but mm-hmm. I'm like, and I probably need to like learn this formally. So sure. I started um, on my, you know, I got my associates in information technology and then, um, you know, started to shift to try to get a bachelor's. And yeah. um, I had, you know, I, I went through uh, a divorce. I went through a couple job changes yeah. and eventually the uh, school just, again, became another thing that I struggled to balance. Mm-hmm. And I got to a point where I said, okay, I, I know I don't know everything. I think I know enough. Yeah. Um, I have, you know, I have some certifications. I have uh, some experience. I think I can just say it's okay to step away from yeah. school. Yeah, yeah, which I can't imagine was, like, you just explained that very linearly. I can't imagine it was that linear in the moment. I imagine it was a lot more fraught with anxiety and (laughs) am I doing the right thing? So how did you you get yourself to the point where – like you believed because a lot of people that I work with just as in the course of the work that I do get to those points in their life and they find it very hard to – you know, you're kind of in this place where maybe things aren't perfect, but it's but they're familiar. And so now I'm going to do something that is unfamiliar and possibly imperfect. And there's a risk because I've got the unknown. So how did you get yourself off of that edge? Um, I'm not sure if I'm totally off that edge right now, but I <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your honesty. <laughs> um, imposter syndrome is a real, yeah. real thing, and it sucks yeah. some days. Yeah. Uh, it sucks every day. It, let's be honest; yeah. like, it's never a good thing. Yeah, usually depends on how well I do meeting customers and yeah. things. Um, I, I think you know, I, I got to a point where people, I, I think people started to trust me. Yeah, um, they, they'd come to me rather than come to somebody else, and. Mm ask me questions and maybe I'd know the question, you know, the answer right off the bat. Or maybe I was like, you know, let me, let me look at that a little closer because I think I know the right answer, but I want to be sure. And, and just building that trust in trying to solve problems. Yeah. And, and, and I think that was where I, I started to realize, okay, I, I think I belong here. 
for the most part. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's such a key point in just, you know, in leader development, in personal development, in entrepreneurial development, quite frankly, is what are people coming to you for? Right. You know, what's where where are people viewing you as the expert? That's not always easy to see from the outside. So I honestly applaud you for being able to recognize that and and take that in because it can be really hard, especially if you know that imposter syndrome is present yeah. and you know that that's kind of driving some of the things you're doing. Um, it can it, that can be a hard thing to embrace. So I, I do want to give you kudos for that because that's not <laughs> that's not an everybody thing. So. Thanks. I, and I've, you know, I've talked to people and um, the way I approach uh, the work that I do is maybe a little different from others. And so people will say, oh, well, you, uh, um, you should kind of position yourself as a thought leader. Please please don't, don't use that term with me. Please don't use evangelist or any of that. (laughs) You know, I'm just a dude that knows a few things and I'm just trying to get that word out. And it's, uh, it's really tough sometimes to uh, you know, I, I might shy away from those, those, uh, those terms and, and that yeah. wording just because again, that imposter yeah. syndrome, like mm-hmm. I'm going to be the one James is our thought leader. And then I stand up there and I don't know the question or yeah. don't know the answer. And yeah. it's like, Oh yeah, they're going to, they're going to throw torches and pitchforks at me now. You know, I think buzzwords like that to kind of dilute the impact of what you're saying. Yes. Also, like if I've already deemed you the thought leader in XYZ field, whatever it is, like I, I've already kind of set you up to to fall. You right. know, I've set you up to not meet an expectation because that that phrase thought leader or any similar phrase like ninja was like the super, <laughs> super hot buzzword for rock I was just, yeah, rock star or, you know, in the feminine world, it's like the boss babe or all the, you know, these crazy things that we come up with to categorize ourselves and. I'm not big on those. Like they drive, honestly, those kinds of labels and buckets drive me crazy because I think they become external limitations that I didn't ask for. Like right. I didn't ask you to call me that. I didn't ask you to give me that label. Right. So please don't. They're, they're both, they're both limitations, like you yeah. said, and then they're sometimes a massive expectation. Yeah. And yeah. to, to have both of those on your shoulders is yeah. sometimes just a bit much. Yeah, I mean, I'd ra- honestly, if anybody was going to label me, I'd rather be known as somebody who's just relentlessly curious or, <laughs> you know, or constantly, you know, not satisfied. <laughs> like, I would, I'd rather be known for those things. So, um, yeah, so you, like, so today you are um, a cybersecurity professional. You have your own firm. You're doing some good stuff there. How did um, that move from, all right, I'm, I'm not going to do school anymore, where did that take you next? Did that take you right into your own business, or where did you go? Um, no. So at that point, I was with um, my my last employer yeah. uh, before I started my own business. Um, I just decided I'm not going to do school. Yeah. Uh, my previous employer, it, it, some people were supportive of it. Others weren't. There's, yeah. there's always that fear that, well, if somebody gets more knowledgeable, they won't want to stick around here. Um and and they'll want to go mm-hmm. find greener pastures and yeah. so that's I, a tough environment to it work is. in it really is. tough I, yeah. I so it was it was kind of tumultuous uh with what what I wanted to do where I wanted to go and what limits the the company was putting on me mm-hmm. and so I honestly uh starting starting my own business wasn't uh, wasn't the thing that uh was top of my mind mm-hmm. um but we got to a point where we 
for for legal purposes, I'll just say we both agree that it was best to uh, part ways. And by both, you mean you and your former employer? Yeah, you, okay. using yeah. You, me and my former employer, because before, right before this happened, I actually took a month off uh, for paternity leave. My uh, m- my wife and I, we had uh, adopted three children from foster oh, care. Yeah, and so I had kind of this perspective. You know, now I have four kids. Um, you know, what am I doing with myself? What am I doing uh, with my family? Yeah. Um, so I didn't know what what the next step needed to be. And I, uh, so that was very obvious to my former company. And they said, you know what? How about we just s- split up? Okay, that's, yeah. that's fine. And I, I'd had people come to me and say, well, what did you enjoy? And I said, well, I enjoyed educating people about security. Mm. And they said, well, could you make money off that? Yeah, I could, you know, I, I could keep the lights on and yeah. I could keep, I could keep the, the bills paid doing that. Yeah. Um, so they said, well, you should start your own thing. Well, that's great. Like, you know, do you want to give me some money? No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you no, should do no. that. Yeah. You know, like, no, no, no. You should do go this do this incredibly risky, expensive thing. Right. Right. <laughs> you should go do that. Um, so I, I was like, okay, uh, I'll start. I'll start a company. Well, you know, thanks to the joys of non-competes and things yeah, like that, yeah. uh, it was kind of, you know, dead before it could really happen. Um, so I ended up having to kind of shelve the idea, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and then go find uh, another job. You know, yeah. something that was at least more in the security space than what I was doing before. Okay, and. Then once the, the great COVID happened, yeah. uh, I was able to start working on my business a little bit quietly, figuring out what I was going to do, what was my moves going to be mm-hmm. when, um, when the business, when I was able to actually run my business. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was good because I had that safety net of a 40 hour a week job and it was good money and, um, you know, the, the, good or bad the kids were always around and things like that um help help bring our family together for sure but then got that point of okay I need to stop the 40-hour job and I need to start running the business and that that transition was definitely stressful there was moments where it's like if I don't get any money in the next few weeks I may have to start calling people to look for jobs and and so it, it was definitely that leap there. And oh, yeah. again, it's that moment of, you know, I'm on the edge, the imposter syndrome and everything yeah. else is just beating <clears throat> on me. Um, and it, it did it did work out. The, you know, the money started to show, the client started to sign up, um, you know, and I was starting starting to get my name out there a bit. Yeah. So it, it did, it has worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was definitely a struggle for a number of months, just knowing where things were going to go. Yeah. It's listening to you. I'm reflecting on something that I have um, I've used before as I've told my story. And what I talk about is, you know, throughout my life, I've had several what I call WTF moments. Mm-hmm. And so the obvious interpretation of that is what the fuck, which they always are what the fuck mm-hmm. moments. But it's also that question, I think, of what's to follow. And that's where I started to kind of reframe that idea because I always just used to think about them as these just explosions of chaos and I was in pain and, you know, all these things were happening and I didn't know what was going to happen. 
But in reality, the deeper question I was asking is what's next? Like, where am I going from here? And I've got several of those in your life, in my life and listening to you, you've had a few in your life too. But what I love about what you did is, and this is advice I give people a lot, is you used where you were to set up, set yourself up for where you wanted to be. So you, I think, you know, took those successive leaps between, you know, your upbringing and then the Navy and then the education it gave you and then into your, into school and then figuring out that's actually not what I want to do. I want to go to work and go into work. And, you know, now you're set up in your own company and, you know, at the, I'm guessing at the time it wasn't like you weren't entirely aware that you were, (laughs) you were leapfrogging yourself in the moment. I'm sure it felt a lot cloudier. Absolutely. Yeah. Just felt that I was, you know, just I'd wake up and be like, okay, what, what fresh hell is waiting for me today? Or, (laughs) or what's the, what's this going to look like? And, um, but then, and and for the longest time, I don't know why it always seemed like, I guess in a way it was good. Things seemed to culminate for the, for the positives on Fridays. Mm. Like I'd get up and be like, and, and I'd look back and be like, my Friday was way too busy for what a Friday should be. But mm. damn, it was successful. Mm-hmm. You know, client signed or or this happened or something yeah. else. And so it was nice. It was a nice way to kind of ride into the weekend. I but um, but the Monday through Thursday, it was like, oh, man, what's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't wait for Friday because hopefully something yeah. good comes this time. So. Yeah. So but you stuck it out through COVID. You formed yeah. the company. You stuck it out. It started yep. to move forward. And honestly, like, what a time to start a cybersecurity firm. Everybody's online. Yeah. Right. So how did that impact oh, how you started, do you think? So it really, um, I think where a lot of companies kind of realized and and some realized a little too late some were kind of realizing as they were doing it is uh over the years you know with companies being so you know work in the office from a security standpoint they've built companies to be like a castle you know they're they're well defended they have all the technology and everything but when people journey outside that castle they're not as protected so when they when companies panicked and said everyone go home uh you know, make sure your internet's fast and take your computer with you. They they spread their risk. They spread their yeah. um, the lack of protection. Uh, one of my clients uh, that I was working with early on, they weren't even sure if they were going to keep their office space. And mm-hmm. I had to I had to convince them. I said, uh, "You've talked to me about wanting some new security appliances, but if nobody's going to be in the office, there's no point in having them. <laughs> you know, like I, these unmanned security things. Right. These, this appliance will help nobody. And um, so it was a it, it was a change for people where now uh, instead of protecting uh, one castle, they were protecting a whole bunch of little places. And yeah. uh, and again, as uh, you know, smaller companies that maybe had never sent anyone home to work were just launching themselves into this new new way of working and you know it's it, it it's me trying to explain to them look i i know you've got a million things going on right now but you really have to protect these computers um you know not just from the bad guys but even from in some cases you know your own family members that yeah. work with you in, or that live with you in the same house you, you don't know if your kid's computer has been hacked and yeah. now you're you know you introduce a work computer onto that network and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a 
it's a very uh, it became a very dynamic thing to try to have to uh, to protect and and make people aware of. Yeah. Now you're reminding me of a story. I had a friend who um, at their workplace they had to shut down use of an entire system because somebody's kid had gotten on their work computer while it was at home and open and unlocked and they started messing around with stuff and it yeah. alerted you know the people that were monitoring whatever systems. I, I don't know how it all worked, but either way they found out. And so then they had to go in and fig, you know make sure that nothing had been compromised. Yeah. And then that kind of it sparked off a whole other like set of things that had to happen. But yeah, I mean it's just that reality of your like your computer is not on your desk at work where the only people that could potentially even have access to it mm -hmm. are you know cleared for that work in that company. You know even then we all know protect your workstations. But yeah, right. there's um, you know that it's a it, the whole dynamic to your point changed. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things I was, I was buzzing around your work, your work site, your website a little bit. And one of the things I noticed is you've kind of got the like, who am I on there? And nowhere in there do you specifically note that you're a veteran. <laughs> but I can, but being a veteran, I can see where your values and how you describe yourself is kind of driven by that identity. But I'm always curious, yeah. you know, why don't you mention that? I so when I set my website up, and it's definitely due for a change. Yeah. Um, it was it was again one of those that as I was forming the business, I was like, well, I'm just sitting on the couch and yeah. I'll just set the website up. Need a landing page. <laughs> somebody's landing gonna page. search right. for me. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Somebody's gonna somebody's gonna look for this company, and I gotta make it look like it's real. Um, I, <laughs> because it is, because I feel like I is. need to defeat your imposter yes. syndrome yes, right now. Yes, because it's real. <laughs> um, I've I, I've definitely uh, I've been a little bit. Um, uh, cautious of the uh, vet bro culture. Mm, um, mm -hmm. So, you know, not, not I'm not going to point out any companies, but right. there's, we all know it when we see it, especially oh, yeah. those of us that are veterans, you know, yeah. they're, um, you know, and, and they're definitely in certain industries, uh, apparel and yeah. caffeinated beverages and breweries. Yeah. yeah. And so it, you know, when I, when I kind of put it together, I said, I, I want, I want people to look at me as an expert first and then maybe a veteran second, but, but maybe even better is look at me as an expert first or, or at least somebody who knows what they're doing. And then somebody who's here in Iowa, I'm not some flashy West coast or East coast person trying to, uh, trying to run a business here. Um, and, and need, and also because, uh, you, you know, as uh, my time in the Navy, I broke more computers than I fixed them. I, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't know. I, 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 I to knew me, that so just means little. you learned a lot. Right, right. <laughs> I, I, I had to learn how to operate even my own computer properly. Right. So, um, you know, it, it just felt like if, if I put that, you know, veteran owned part, you, you know, does that give a, does it give an impression to somebody? It's like, oh, they're probably just some vet bro. They got some weird, weird commercials or or weird uh, um, beliefs and stuff. And I just I just wanted people to know. Look, let's just let's just get to the part where I educate you on what you need to know and how to protect yourself. And if you want to know about you know the crazy stuff I did overseas, cool. We'll talk sometime over coffee. Right. But, um, yeah, and, and and looking back now, and obviously, you know, setting up that website th three years ago, um, it was, you know, just okay. I want to do this, and 
I want this part to be what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking back now, and, and especially now, you know, working in with Bunker Labs and the right. uh, veteran cohort, I, I'm realizing, like, I, I do need to embrace it a bit mm-hmm. more, um, you know, but I also, I'm also at that tipping point where I've realized that I'm, I've been out of the military pretty much as long as I've been in. Right. So it's, <clears throat> it starts to kind of become a distant yet cool memory. Yeah. No, I think I thought it's so similar to the way that I have thought about my identity as a veteran because for the longest time, like I just didn't use it. I mean, it, it just wasn't. I worked in aerospace and defense for a while, so it served me well there mm-hmm. for sure. But as I moved into the coaching realm and the consulting and teaching that I do, it became le- it became a footnote rather than a headline. Right, and that's really like. What I'm learning now through, and you know I'm passionate about veterans and entrepreneurship because I am an ambassador for Bunker Labs. You're in our cohort. We're, so I have a weird relationship with Bunker now because I'm a, an ambassador and I'm a member of our Des Moines cohort. Right. <laughs> so it's it's a fun relationship, but I'm passionate about it almost because of the reasons you talked about. Like the face of veterans in entrepreneurship is not former special operators who have started their consulting or their coffee or their, you know, whatever company, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's, again, I'm with you, nothing against those, but that's not the only identity that right. we as veteran entrepreneurs have. And so I, you know, I really, at this point in my life, thinking, I think I'm figuring out how to weave that in to the work that I do in such a way that it remains not the headline, but it is, it does drive part of how I coach and consult and teach. Yeah. It absolutely does. So um, I think it's getting comfortable with that. And I think, you know, you and I come from a similar era in the military. And I think that that, that's like, I see a lot of my peers that are kind of in the same mindset we are, where, you know, some that are more recently getting out, it's more prominent. And right. so I, I'm with you. I think it does kind of fade over time because yeah. our new experiences begin to take precedence. And that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. It, and I think it's more, uh, it's more eye opening than yeah. two because you're, you're not letting one thing become your identity. You're, mm-hmm. you're willing to branch out a bit more yeah. and, um, you know, and if you're doing it in an authentic way, that's the important part. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer and this is just part of, you know, the social science research I do and the, and the way that I, I tend to come at everything is we are the sum of our previous experiences. Mm-hmm. So all of the things that I have done, all of the things that you have done to include friends and family and where we've lived and what we've read and all of that makes us who we are right now. Absolutely. And that what that means then is next week, I'm going to be a little bit different person <laughs> because you and I just had this conversation right. and I got a really cool transformer sticker. <laughs> um, but I did want to, you know, I wanted to close a little bit and talk about you gave me a mug that has this really cool transformer guy on it. And I'll take a picture of it and throw it out on to Instagram <laughs> tag you. Um, but you gave me that you gave me a mug that has the guy on it and it has, you know, your logo on the other side. Yeah. Tell me about your where the profit from that mug goes and why that's so important to you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, all of our apparel that we uh, make or because we are trying to make as much of it as possible or that we are buying, we we sell that to help uh, benefit Four Oaks Family Connections. They yeah. are, uh, they do foster and adoptive programs in central and eastern Iowa. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, uh, my wife and I, we adopted three children from yeah. foster care. They... Uh, they lived with us for 15 months. 
uh, before we were able to adopt them, and they were in and out of foster care most of their lives. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, to we felt that we wanted to try to impact um, you know, as many kids as we could, and we, we took three at once. <laughs> wow. um, and uh, we've, uh, we've fostered other children as well and mm -hmm. actually maintained good, strong relationships with them and their biological parents. Mm -hmm. Uh, because that part's important too. Um, so, uh, yeah, anything that we are uh, trying to do and and everything, it's it's trying to use our time, our talents, and our treasury mm -hmm. to help benefit something we believe in. Yeah. And we felt that uh, helping out Four Oaks was was the the best uh, direction that we could go. Yeah. Because. I have four kids right now I, I, and, and three dogs. I, I, I can't, I, oh. you know, my wife and I, <laughs> when we got to the point where our foster license was up for renewal, we're like, do we, do we even want to like, yeah. like that's like, we, we wanted to help. And it's like, how can we help other ways? Well, it, you know, let's advocate for this. So, mm. um, when I, when I talk, uh, even if I'm giving presentations about security, I will use that platform. I will use that podium mm -hmm. to say, hey, look, don't get hacked. And also maybe go see if if fostering children is the right thing for yeah. your family. That's very Bob Barker-esque, right? It, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of it is. Use your platform, though. Right. I'm all about that. Use that, which is why I wanted to ask you about that today. Because yeah. And I wish that you all could have seen James's face when I asked that. Like his whole face lit <laughs> up and he kind of shook in his seat. I was, like, I, that's beautiful. I yeah. love that. Like that kind of connection and passion tells me that it's authentic. It's not salesmanship. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and we all know the difference when we see it. So Absolutely. I'm I'm excited about that. Thank you for the work that you do Thank in you. that area. Honestly, that is something that not everybody has the temperament for. <laughs> and what I'll I'll share with you is my son, when he was little, he was like seven, eight. He's an only child. And his dad and I were divorced. And he kept asking me, Mom. I just want a brother. I would just adopt one. He's like, I know you don't want to have, but could you just adopt one and like over and over. And then he learned about foster care and that became his new thing. And he would come home, big puppy dog eyes. Mom, there's kids that don't have moms. And I was just like, you little brat. And I just was not financially or physically in a space where that was possible right. for me to do. I just wasn't. And so it was those were good conversations that he and I were able to have, though, because mm -hmm. of his awareness of that whole system. It became, you know, this place where he and I could talk about values and how how to help, you know, in those kinds of situations. And yeah. so it became a good talking point. But and it's literally yeah. the first thing they tell you when you uh, start the foster care program is know your family. That's yeah. rule number one. Yeah. So know what you can handle. And yeah. you definitely go through if you stick with the program you definitely learn the things that you know you can handle and then mm -hmm. the things that you know you would handle poorly mm -hmm. and that helps to shape you know what your comfort level is uh, as it relates to children the trauma that they've gone yeah. through um, I found through this journey that um, children that had been victims of sex abuse I would not be able to handle that mm. because quite frankly I'd I'd have thoughts of retribution and yeah. it's not a, um, yeah. not a pretty direction to go. So, uh, I was very, uh, yeah. very clear with my wife. I said that stuff, yeah. like it'll make my blood boil on a daily basis, yeah. not in any way directed towards the child, just towards the trauma that's been inflicted on them. Yeah. And I was,
because, you know, we were thankful that we we never had to worry about that situation being mm. presented to us. Yeah, yeah. Now, so again, I, I thank you for that. And I, I like that advice too, of knowing, just know your family. And honestly, that advice applies to so many things. When you think about it, like know, like know, know what your family is capable of tolerating. You know, we have both been in the military. We have both had divorces as a result. I don't, I don't want to assume yours was as a result, but mine was as a result of distance and deployments mm-hmm. and being apart. My first one was. My second one was not because of that distance, but it was because of my jump into entrepreneurship is what highlighted the right. problems. And so knowing what your family can tolerate and what you're willing to risk in any leap that you're going to make is so important. And so often we're like, I'm jumping, come with me. And the, you're, everyone else is like, I'm sta- no, I'm yeah. staying here. <laughs> like This is where I am safe and comfortable. Right. So. Thanks for highlighting that. Um, all right. So last question. If there was something you could tell people to do right now to connect with you or learn more about cybersecurity, what would it be? Um, absolutely. Um, you reach out to me through social media. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of coffee. So <laughs> if I can reach you, I will have coffee. And uh, if I can't reach you, I might send you coffee while we chat on <laughs> Zoom or something. Um, my, oh. my biggest goal is not to necessarily make money from everyone I make. It's, I want you to walk away from this knowing more what the risks are than you did before you met me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not in a way that you're freaked out and scared and you're ready to go throw your computer out the window, but just so that you are aware because just like anything else, you, if you're aware of risks, then you can make that next decision of, should I actually accept this risk or try to fix it mm. you know you wouldn't you wouldn't get in a car if you didn't know if it had brakes or not <laughs> that is a great analogy yes and, and, and <laughs> uh, or you know uh so let's talk through that and say yeah. do you you know do you know what kind of risks you have no okay do you want me to help you with that no okay best of luck yeah, um, I, yeah. It, I, I I hope I don't get the 2 a.m. call. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just, you know, uh, coffee and education is Honest. really what I want to bring to people yeah. and then go from there. You know, that's that's the biggest thing. Good. And we're going to put your contact information in our show notes so awesome. people will be able to find your website and your Twitter and reach out to you that way. So I'm excited. Awesome. All right. Thank you, James, again, for making <laughs> the trip in and for honestly being such a great guest. Well, You're fantastic. You. I really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the third episode of the Dangerous Leader podcast. If you like what you heard, have some comments or suggestions, please like and follow the show and leave us a comment. I would love your feedback. And if you have that inkling to protect your systems at home or your business, please reach out to James. You can find him out on Twitter or you can visit his website, both of which will be in the show notes. You can also find a list of different things that we talked about, a link to James's website, and where you can find this adorable mug that I've got with a little bit of additional commentary at dangerousleader.com. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Murphy Muses. Before we sign off from today's session, I have got to give credit to the amazing team at LAS Media Network who produces and distributes this podcast from right here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. If you'd like ad-free episodes of The Dangerous Leader, bonus content, and much more, then consider subscribing to LAS+. Plus. All you have to do is go to lasmedianetwork.com slash plus to get started. 
And always remember to lead dangerously, be you.